0: Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreo. With me this morning to talk through the weekend's blockbuster stories and this week's upcoming attractions is Ros Taylor. Good morning, Ros. Hello, Alex. Ros, another big week for Prime Minister Sunak. Uh, he seems to have chickened out of bringing the Randa Bill back to Parliament after rumblings over the holidays that he was trying to railroad his backbenchers by imposing a sort of uh, a compressed timetable. But the offshore petroleum licensing bill, a bill that will approve more drilling licenses, is up today. And that's been quite controversial. Do we expect unhappiness?
1: Yes, it may well be that some Tory MPs will rebel. People have their eyes on people like Theresa May, for example. It's an issue of principle. It's it's the most symbolic thing. It's really going back on the promise of net zero. And there will be strong arguments obviously being made in favour of energy independence as Sunak sees it for the UK. But remember that Chris Skidmore has resigned over this issue. That's how strongly he felt about it. So it may well be that there will be rebellions.
0: Yeah. And Alex Sharma is obviously quite unhappy. He's been giving quotes, I think, to the Times. And even after it, uh, the legislation makes it into the Lords, there's a number of uh, people there, Tory peers there, who are awaiting it with quite a bit of unhappiness. People like Zach Goldsmith, who also resigned over this.
1: And it's worth saying that uh, Rwanda, of course, has not gone away. It will be back. And Robert Jenrick, the ex-immigration minister, is uh, looking forward to putting forward amendments to make the mm. bill tougher so that the European Convention on Human Rights can be ignored. It already has the power to disregard the Human Rights Act, but that's not enough for Jenrick. And it emerged this morning in The Sun that Rishi Sunak questioned whether the Rwanda plan would work while he was chancellor, but also that he actually considered campaigning to be prime minister on a platform of opposing the Rwanda plan. Hmm. And it is therefore quite, you know, hard to see how he's going to have an easy time of it when this comes back to the to the Commons.
0: The sub postmaster's stroke Fujitsu scandal seems to have managed finally to get more of a focus from people after an ITV drama on it it really caught the public's attention. We've been talking about it for quite some time, both on this programme and our sister podcast. I've done two interviews on it about two years ago. Is it fair for Sunak to say this all happened a long time ago in the 90s?
1: Not really, no. I mean, it was happening from 1999 until 2015. So that's only nine years ago and a lot of it on the watch of the Conservative government as well. And of course, one of the things that the Conservatives are trying to do is suggest that Ed Davey, who was post office minister in the early 2010s, bears some mm. responsibility for this scandal. He says the post office lied to him and he you know, it regrets it enormously that he was misled in this way. But more importantly, of more than seven hundred victims of this scandal, only hundred have had their convictions quashed, and there's an awful lot of compensation potentially to be paid, and rightly for what they went through. Many of them had to pay enormous sums, went to prison. One of them, I think, while she was pregnant. And why mm. did nobody notice? You know, why did nobody suspect that? Yeah, you know, was it really likely that seven hundred sub postmasters were filching the system in this way? Why was it not questioned? And also, I think importantly, why is it taken an ITV drama to get this noticed when, as you say, it has been covered by multiple publications for years now? I mean, it's great that it's got the attention it deserves, but it's very late in the day. So there's yeah. a suggestion that there's going to be some sort of high level summit today to decide what can be done to help these victims and speed the process up. And the suggestion that the Crown Prosecution Service might take over the job of dealing with the scandal from the Post Office, which clearly has not distinguished <laughs> itself in the least, and efforts to try and speed up compensation. But it's a shameful episode, and we can only hope that, that something is done this week about it, even if perhaps the motives for turning the government's, uh, the government's motives for turning attention towards it may not be the most inspiring.
0: There's more trouble and potential by-elections coming too. As you mentioned, the the environment minister has resigned and now Sunak's pension minister is in some trouble. What are the facts of that as we know them?
1: As we know them, Paul Maynard used taxpayers' money to fund conservative fundraising and campaigning. Specifically, this was funding for his constituency office. Now, constituency offices... The money for those can only be used by MPs for their duties as MPs, not Mm. for trying to get themselves reelected and raising money. So the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority is going to investigate this story that came up in the Sunday Times yesterday.
0: Yeah, Uh, Labour Party Chair Annalisa Dodds has written to Rishi Sunak, apparently, asking for some clarity on this. Is the assumption that Sunak will lose all by-elections now, basically, so is it so baked in that it actually eases pressure on him? Any by-election that he wins seems like a huge bonus,
1: I don't think so, because, you know, there was, of course, the Uxbridge one, but that's been the only bright spot for Sunak in terms of by-elections, I think. It mm. continues the narrative of decline. It makes it harder for people to say, oh, Sunak can still turn it round when every few weeks he has a by-election that he loses, often spectacularly. Now, of course, that's yeah. not yet in any case a sense of threat to his majority Boris Johnson's majority in 2019 was 80 plus and we are still working through and I don't suppose we will get to that number yet but it's not good for a government to firstly to have the bad publicity of these defeats but also to have so many of its MPs being forced into by elections or in some cases like uh, Skidmore the environment minister calling them themselves it doesn't speak to a united and disciplined government.
0: Yeah, it does seem a very, very significant drip, drip, drip. I mean, we're talking about three by-elections this year and we're only eight days in. Talking of by-elections, how did the Conservatives end up with Peter Bone's girlfriend as a candidate to replace the disgraced Peter Bone?
1: She was the constituency association's choice, apparently, Alex. Uh, It does seem remarkable. (laughs) But uh, yes, his uh, partner is fighting the seat of Wellingborough and she's a physiotherapist. I'm sure she's got a lot to bring to the House of Commons. I, it, it's hard to see the reasoning behind this, though, because is it trying to say that she presumably doesn't care about the accusations of indecent exposure and so on against him? And the, so therefore, nor should we. It seems to say the least, contemptuous of voters to just stick in the partner of a disgraced MP.
0: Yes, it seemed an extraordinary tidbit of information is that at some point, both his ex-wife and his current girlfriend worked for him on the public buck in the constituency office, which just seems extraordinary. I mean, they are now just taking the piss, I think.
1: Well, MPs have long, long employed their wives and partners. Yes, and but families. usually
0: not at the same time. <laughs> not at the same time as their mistress. Um, now, yeah. the, 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 prime, <laughs> the Prime Minister has also come under fire for not supporting those affected by the floods more effectively. After many days of avoiding those areas, despite traveling to them in some cases. I mean, there was one day where he was in Nottingham, literally a few miles up the road from, you know, flood affected areas and didn't visit. He finally visited Oxfordshire yesterday, but did not meet residents. He went to a flood mitigation project instead and gave a pool clip about how wonderful the government has been on this. Is it particularly difficult for a very unpopular prime minister to be visible as he must be during a crisis.
1: It's very difficult for PMs and indeed any politician during floods. I say that not really with sympathy, but just as an observation. You remember Boris Johnson during floods trying pathetically to sweep out some water with a broom from a property. There's really very little they can do that is meaningful apart from stand around in, in tall wellies looking at. At, at submerged properties. Nonetheless, that does not mean that people do not value it when a PM acknowledges what they've been going through and promises to do something about it. And as you say, Sunak did this pool clip yesterday where he talked up how great the flood defences were as the waters appeared to be rising behind him. <laughs> um, and so, but, but he is trying to get out more. Now, um, Keir Starmer is going to uh, is going to these Midlands, I believe, today to look at some of the flooding. So we'll see what he does. And,
0: and talk to actual people, I think.
1: I presume so. Uh, Rishi Sunak is going to Lancashire to do one of his PM Connect events. Now, this is a new wheeze. Um, I mean, it does sound like the world's <laughs> dullest speed dating connect event, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. um, they, his team apparently believe that these quite controlled and scripted encounters are going to cut through with the public. I have my doubts about that. I mean, he did do do one last week and he got booed as he was leaving a cafe in Stockport. And that was, of course, what got picked up nobody had any interest whatsoever in what he was saying during the pm connect uh, event it's it's a risky strategy in other words and also people don't tend to warm to sunak on personal contact he's not a man who when you see him you think oh actually this guy is quite you know he's i'm quite impressed by him he doesn't appear to have that quality so it is risky but on the other hand what the hell else can he do right now
0: i mean there's just no doubt in my mind that the story will end up being of Sunak doing PM Connect, but actually not connected with people, you know, because it's so controlled that you know he will end up being confronted just outside the event or on his way there and and that will become the story
1: yeah and when you start being booed as well you may remember that began happening yeah towards the end of his premiership once one uh, once you get booed once you get booed again because people really yeah. like seeing themselves on the news booing people it mm. becomes a trend
0: Now, there are also kites being flown that welfare cuts will be used to fund tax breaks. How attractive a retail offer is that for voters and and might vary by region? I mean, the reason I ask the question that way, I guess, is that my instinct tells me that this is slightly facing towards the blue wall constituency and away from the red wall constituencies so it feels like a, a defensive rear guard action to to kind of control the damage in the election rather than a winning strategy what what do you think
1: possibly i think cutting benefits is generally a popular strategy it tends to appeal to people right across the board there is a feeling among people who are working that people who are not working if they do not have some you know clear physical disability should be and that is the important thing here because what the government is trying to crack down on is claims for mental illness and in particular depression and anxiety which are now the most common reasons for claiming these, yeah. these uh, disability benefits and of course when you've got those there's a perception that those can be fixed by the individual if they would only sort themselves out uh, in a way that a physical disability can't be now that is maybe and often you know usually is entirely wrong and naturally the reasons for depression and anxiety are often caused by poverty and mm. uh, all kinds of and, and by physical problems in themselves but that's not the way that the government wants you to see it. So the idea is for this new plan that people who make new claims for uh, depression, anxiety in particular, will have their claims probed more deeply and they will not be accepted as readily as they might be now. Mm. This was actually tried in 2008 and 2013, and it didn't work either time then. Clearly, there is an issue in Britain at the moment, with people suffering mental illness. And I strongly suspect that's linked to the effects of austerity, but the government would obviously question that.
0: And the lack of mental health services.
1: Yes, that that too. And of course, the fact that you have to go private, which you often can't afford in order to get any kind of treatment or help. Yes. So I'm not sure it's a vote winner because the overwhelming problems with this country are clearly that public services don't work. Um, and the economy is is tanking and people want that fixed i don't think their desire to fix that is is going to be overridden by indignation that other people are claiming benefits but you know it's a wedge issue as far as the conservatives are concerned
0: Mm. he said something to laura kunzberg on on sunday that really grabbed me. He said, and I quote, do I believe the country is three times sicker than it was a decade ago? The answer is no. I mean, that seems to me quite a strange thing to dismiss de facto, you know, without offering any evidence to the contrary that there are a lot more people who need help, you know, because we have been through a period of major mental health trauma with the pandemic and on top of that, we have a million and a half people suffering the effects of long COVID. This is according to the ONS's very conservative estimate. So I don't find it at all unbelievable that you know we have three times as many people who need help. I just don't understand what the contrary implication is that suddenly three times more people than before are faking it.
1: That is the implication, I think, that he's trying to make, that the system is too soft. And it's and in particular that people just claim for depression and anxiety because they otherwise would be on unemployment benefits straightforwardly. But they think they can get more money by saying that they have a disability. That is that is the narrative that he's trying to push.
0: I mentioned that interview on Laura Kunzberg on Sunday. It was his first big interview of the year. It seemed quite tetchy and it, it went down quite badly with both progressive and conservative commentators on the panel on the day, but also in the papers that followed. Is what the party faithful want now so removed from what the country in general wants that it has become impossible for, for Sunak to triangulate any policy, actually? And, you know, the, the Rwanda revelations today in the sun sort of point to that, right, that there are policies in the mix that he really doesn't like, he really doesn't believe in, but he's pushing them because there's a rump of the party that demands it but are not attractive to the country out there.
1: Yeah, uh, and this is the pathetic thing about Sunak, really. He should not be governing for the party faithful, right? He should not be governing for conservative members who are a very small part of the country, and he certainly shouldn't be governing for right wing backbenchers either. But he has got himself into a situation with the torments that the party has gone through in the last decade, as it has removed its moderate wing, essentially, or almost all of it, and pandered so much to its right wing, that it becomes the expectation and the default that Sunak has to do whatever they say. And that's not governing in the interests of the the party. Mm, And you'd think that as a general election was approaching, he would start to realise that and realise that there really aren't the votes in pandering to that to that side but he doesn't and of course his party you know is only too happy to go along with this. At the weekend it emerged that there is yet another new conservative family familiarly known as PopCon and I'm not joking here. (laughs) This stands for popular conservatism and it will be led by and again I'm not making it up Liz Truss and Jacob Rees-Mogg yeah. Uh, presumably have a little more time on their hands than they used. It should
0: use. be called popcorn.
1: Yeah, well I think that's the uh, I think that's the inspiration for the for the name, Right, uh so right. in some strange way. But uh yes, it's gonna campaign on an anti woke platform. Uh, so you're lost for words, really. That yeah. it's the dying it's the dying uh rising
0: convulsions, of, uh, convulsions it really exactly, is.
1: Exactly, of the party.
0: Um, I mean, in contrast, Starmer has had a very good few days, certainly had a good Sunday. His his big interview on Sky News was given a thumbs up by most uh, uh, politicos. His team is beginning to put a little more flesh on the bones of specific policies. Uh, we saw, for instance, a lot more detail about Labour's education reforms. Now, I know you have very strong views on education. What did you think of what's being proposed?
1: The Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson, was in the Sunday Times yesterday talking about absenteeism in particular. Now this is Mm. a big problem. It's also one of those kind of semi-invisible problems because it doesn't stand out like the state of A&E stands out. The parents whose kids aren't going to school aren't shouting about it and the kids aren't shouting about it either but it is nonetheless a huge problem and absenteeism has really really risen since the pandemic and it's correlated with very poor life chances not going to school as you might expect Mm. Um, and the government hasn't paid it much attention so she though Philipson was saying that it was partly the role of parents to get kids back to school which is obviously true but it has to be done in concert with local authorities who often don't have the money to do so getting kids back to school because you need to have people actually monitoring individual families and saying right they need to be here Uh, let's get them into school so it's a classic kind of new labour tough on absenteeism, tough on the court, it's absenteeism, <laughs> um, triangulation. She also talked about the uh, tuition fee system, the university tuition fee system, which was more intriguing and interesting. And she said that Labour would want to make repayments more progressive. We don't know what this would mean, but it is very important, of course, to younger sections of the electorate who are paying massive yes. amounts in, uh, in, in to the student loans company to repay their student loans.
0: Okay, Rose, let's let's look a little further afield in the last few minutes. Bangladesh went to the polls yesterday. Taiwan has an election at the end of the week. This has been dubbed a year of elections. Four billion people, I think, uh, get the opportunity to cast a vote in 60 countries. Does this make 2024 a very high stakes year?
1: Yeah, it does. It will, in a way, clarify trends that we've been seeing. Hmm. And... It will reveal how deep-seated populism is in the US, of course, with whether Donald Trump is, God forbid, re-elected. There's also India. There's no doubt that Narendra Modi will be re-elected. But there are a number of very important elections, and, of course, the far right in Europe. We'll see whether that gains traction. Not, though, in Germany, whose next elections are not till 2025, even though the alternative for Deutschland are doing alarmingly well there. Mm. And the surge in their support is something that's getting very little coverage, but it's uh, really very striking.
0: So there was some disruption in Bangladesh. Some polling stations were set on fire. The opposition actually boycotted the election. And as a result, turnout was uh, 40%. It was 80% at the last election. So do we know the result from there yet?
1: We do, yes. The Prime Minister, unsurprisingly, Sheikh Hasina, uh, has secured her fourth straight term um, Mm. in the results. Now, as you say, the opposition party boycotted the poll. There were mass arrests of its leaders and supporters. Bangladesh is one of the countries, the increasing number of countries which ape democracies, often in order to avoid international condemnation. But elections are fundamentally just a pretense. And the burning of polling stations, that was blamed by the government on the opposition. We don't know whether the government itself was responsible. No. It was clearly an attempt to disincentivise people to actually going to vote. Because Hasina knows that she has the support of India. She now feels that she can get away with, with doing this.
0: I think it's an interesting start to this year where the, all the talk was about you know democracy, democracy around the world. And the first big election comes round and it's anything but democracy going on, actually. It would be interesting to do a little bit of work at the end of the year to see how many of that four million of people actually did get a meaningful vote. How important is a Taiwan election at the end of the week, Ross?
1: Yeah, that's very important too. So there are three main candidates. There's an anti-China party called the Democratic Progressive Party, which currently is in charge of Taiwan, and a party which is basically seeking an accommodation with China, though its candidate doesn't really talk about it, called the KMT. And a third candidate who tries to appeal to younger voters, who has kind of elements of both. The background, of course, is this: is China flying more and more sorties into Taiwanese territory, trying to undermine the country. And getting involved in huge amounts of propaganda by all accounts to not just to try to talk up China itself, but to try to cede the suspicion that the US won't support Taiwan if China invades it. In other words, to create a mindset that says, oh, we just need the, you know, the easiest option. There's no point in fighting for our independence. China's so powerful. Let's just go along with this. Hmm. And a large proportion of elderly people in Taiwan are quite pro-Chinese for historical reasons. So it will be very important to see who, who wins this election to give an indication of even whether there's any point, I suppose, in the US trying to defend, weighing in to defend Taiwan, or whether there's not much point because the country itself might not put up much opposition were China to invade.
0: And that's it from Start Your Week today. If you enjoyed it, you can support us for as little as £3 a month on the funding platform Patreon. You'll have our gratitude and lots of benefits. Thank you, Roz.
1: Thank you, Alex.
0: And thanks to you for listening to Start Your Week. The Bunker will be back with you tomorrow.
1: Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Alex Andreu with Ross Taylor. The producer was Liam Tate, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, Start Your Week from the Bunker is a Podmasters production.